What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl, Stephanie Hardy. If this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you for joining the ride. And if this isn't your first time listening, thank you for continuing on this journey with me. So in this episode, I'm going to discuss news and gossipish and a lot of crazy stuff has happened this week. So we're going to get into that. And I'm going to have a special segment where I talk about the state of women's wrestling in the eyes of Mickey James, who was just released from WWE and had a lot to say this week about um, ideas that she may have had to move it forward. And I'm going to do a recap of Raw and SmackDown and not NXT this week. I'm sorry, y'all, because I need to take care of myself. So I took Tuesday to just do some self-care. So, so it's just going to be Raw and SmackDown um, this week for the recap. So sit back, relax, and chill out and listen to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Okay, so here's your news and gossip-ish. There's a lot of cool stuff that happened last night on SmackDown, but before... Um, the match, the main event, um, on SmackDown last night was Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan for the Universal title. And one of the crazy things that happened before the match even started was the fact that Roman Reigns had a new theme song debut and it was really dramatic. Um, I know a lot of people on social media weren't really necessarily feeling it. And there was a lot of people who were saying rest in peace shield theme music, because that was the theme music that Roman Reigns used even after um, the shield had broken up. And it's just like, you get used to hearing these theme songs because theme songs are basically an extension of the wrestlers that have them and it shows their personality and all of that. So we knew that somehow or another, a lot of people for the past few years have been pushing for Roman Reigns to have his own theme song that has nothing to do with the Shield. The same way that Dean Ambrose and the same way that um, um, Seth Rollins had a theme song that had nothing to do with the Shield too. So for the past couple of years, people were pushing for that. And now we have this new theme song for tribal chief Roman Reigns. And I think I'll probably need to listen to it again, just to gauge how I feel about it. But when I heard it last night, it did sound like kind of dramatic towards like the first part of it. And then the second part of it kind of went towards this, you know, strange feeling of his, this could be like a video game villain that's coming to eat you alive. And it sounded like it could be a little bit Samoan, like tropical type of thing. So it's like a tropical Samoan thing mixed in with some menacing video game villain type of thing. And I wasn't mad about it the first time I heard it, but I think I'll have to listen to it again. But I know a lot of people on social media either really, really liked it or really, really didn't like it. And they felt like um, in the middle, it was just sort of anticlimactic. But then in the beginning, it had all this dramatic fare and stuff like that. And Roman Reigns had said in the past in an interview, that they're looking for what fits correctly for right now because you know with his character change being as dramatic as you know it was last year and being as dramatic as it is now they were trying to figure out what was the better fit and it looks like you know 
they found this and this might be the better fit for them so hey you never know but then you had um i feel like with wrestling things now you have so many people saying that one of the biggest mistakes that um i think this was stan michael from talk of champions who said this and shout out to him um he basically said he feels like wwe fumbled the ball when they got rid of jim johnson who was the leader who was basically in charge of wwe's music for like the entire attitude era and part of the ruthless aggression era too and then you know he left and i don't know exactly what happened with that story but he left and a lot of people would beg to would assume that their themes just have not been the same since then so but i will say this though when cfo dollar sign was there cf cf cfos was there um they had pretty good things too that sort of fit a lot of what you would hear on the radio like say in the 2010s or whatever but it's just i mean i guess they're just in a state of limbo with their theme songs now but honestly i didn't have an issue with roman reigns's theme but like i said i'll need to listen to it again but i am glad that an effort was made to sort of give him something new to sort of shed that whole shield um mentality off with that song so yeah it's the end of an era but i thought you know he did a really good job last night in his match with daniel bryan and the new theme song is pretty cool and it fits more of who he is as the tribal chief that we need to acknowledge at all times so (laughs) yeah that was a really interesting part of smackdown last night also in the news we have more mickey james stuff um and she was calling out ageism in the wwe Um, She said in an interview on her podcast called, um, it was called the grown, I think it was called grown ass women podcast. She took umbrage with how WWE was treating older female wrestlers in comparison to older male wrestlers. And she was quoted as having to say, um, I think the small minded mentality sometimes leads to thoughtless behavior, especially for me to constantly be presented as old when I'm 41 and every single male champion has always been my same age or older and has been glorified for those reasons as they should be. They're effing amazing. But why is it different for women or why is it different for me? ageism is a real thing and it's bs i'm truly grateful for the strides that we as women have made and to be seen as more equal but it's simply not true for every single person sometimes that's unfortunate i don't know why i was made to feel like i didn't deserve the same treatment because i did everything in my power to be a company girl and for some reason i was made to feel like i didn't deserve it now I did feel like it was kind of strange how they were treating her. You know, it was almost like they were treating her as an afterthought when she came back this last time. Um, After she was finished, it was like after she was finished being the valet sort of for Alexa Bliss, you know, she was injured for a while and then she came back and they really didn't weren't doing a whole lot with her. And this last match she and it's like she had her. I want to say final television match with Asuka. It's like she was low-key injured somehow. And the match ended. And then they never really allowed her to do more of her thing. And then the last time we saw her on WWE television, she was um, giving sort of a play-by-play commentary thing with NXT TakeOver. And you would think that they would give her more to do after that point. But they didn't. And she was just always, you know, put off to the side. And even in the last week where... She was talking about how she got her stuff back, you know, in a trash bag. And even though they got rid of the person who did it, you know, after she was released, it's just the principle of you. So I wish that they had treated her a little bit 
better because she's one of the best wrestlers that WWE had ever had. It's like you have your Trishes, you have your Litas, you have your Victorias, you have your Ivories, your Jacquelines, your Jazzes, um, which is a whole nother story as to how she was treated. But then you have Mickey James, who's feud with Trish Stratus, you know, helped set up the women's division to be more than what it was positioned to be during that time in the 2000s. But yet, somehow now or another she was treated differently because of her age and I feel like that's a pretty crappy thing because ageism you know should not be different the ageism just should not be a thing because however old you are does not in terms of wrestling does not weigh into how well you can perform because it's like she said there are so many people like Brock Lesnar or so many people like um edge and daniel bryan who wrestle and they're in their 30s their late 30s to early 40s and it's just not fair how someone like her who is clearly you know still operating a little bit you know in her prime could be treated you know wrong and i feel really sorry for them dropping the ball on her but i'm wishing her um the best in her future endeavors but at the same time there's still so much more that she addressed this week that has to do with women's wrestling that I'm going to address later on. So, we're going to um move on to the next story which was Bret Hart ripping and throwing mad shade at Triple H. So, um he appeared on the 81 podcast this week and he basically said some pretty rude really really rude things about um Triple H. He said, um, there's always some guys, you know, that no matter what they do with them, you always wonder how they got there. And I never thought Triple H ever had an, uh, an idea, original idea for anything. And I always thought he was overrated. The only reason people even know him or remember him today is because of daddy or daddy in law. And he was referring to the fact that a lot of people re- only remember him simply because he got involved um, with the McMahon family through being in a relationship and marrying Stephanie McMahon who and Vince who's his father-in-law now and I feel like that's kind of sad that a lot of people you know feel like Triple H only got to where he is as a WWE superstar simply because he was you know attached to Stephanie um and I feel like he had reached a little bit of a ways you know, in his career before he, him and Stephanie became a thing, or at least as far as I can think about. Now, mind you, I wasn't into the whole wrestling gossip scene back then because of course I was a child. And when you're a child, you're just looking at stuff on television and you're not digging off deep into stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, I feel like it's sort of easy for people to say, oh, well, you've only gotten this far because of who you're with. And I feel like that's unfair in terms of men and it's unfair in terms of women too. So I feel like you shouldn't necessarily say that. But in my research, I found that Bret Hart did hold a grudge against Triple H because of his involvement in planning the Montreal Screwjob in 1997, where Shawn Michaels beat um, Bret Hart for the WWE Championship before Hart went to WCW. So, and he also infamously graded Triple H's matches against The Undertaker at WrestleMania, um, 28 at WrestleMania 27 and 28 um as a four out of 10 so it looks like Bret Hart and Triple H really just don't like each other so if they don't really like each other and they have all this you know background beef from way back when then maybe you know he he'll just never truly be impressed with Triple H as a wrestler but Triple H has not responded to it or hasn't really said anything about it so we might just have to sort of chalk this up as to you know 
an OG just doesn't like this other OG and we're just going to move on with life. So, hey, however, whatever. Also in the news, we have the great news that Young Rock and the show that comes after it, um, that comes on after it on NBC, Keenan, have been renewed for season two. So um, NBC, you know, sort of released this um, statement via the Hollywood Reporter and Deadline that it has been a true joy to watch Dwayne Johnson and Kenan Thompson on NBC every week and see families connect with their relatable, entertaining, and heartwarming stories. And this was released by Lisa Katz, the president of scripted programming at NBC Universal Television and Streaming. She also said, we're thrilled to renew both of these shows for another season and can't wait to see more from Dwayne, Kenan, and the incredible talents and incredibly talented cast and producing teams behind each of them. So, um, here's some demographics, you know, well, not some demographics, but for statistics talking about Young Rock and everything it's done. So, um, it got picked up straight to series by NBC's previous exec regime. And it's based, of course, on The Rock's formative years in Hawaii. And it features The Rock in every episode and it ranks as the number two comedy of the season in in the all-important demographic of adults 18 through 49. And I was watching it a whole lot faithfully until, of course, NXT got moved to Tuesdays. And they both come on at the same time where I live at 7 o'clock. So (laughs) it just became impossible and it makes me sad. So... Either way, it's a really good show, and I definitely do recommend that you do check out Young Rock. So, and then I saw a couple of comments online of people and fans saying that they feel like Rock, The Rock's show should cover more of his life as a wrestler in season two. So maybe they'll get more into that and, and what his decision making was behind that, you know, after his football career didn't work out and all of the above. So, but they really do get into some meat and potatoes on that show about his life. And it teaches really good lessons here. So I'm really excited to see that that show has another season to be able to tell that story. So kudos to The Rock. Everything he touches turns to gold. So yeah. Um, (laughs) um, And lastly in the news, we have Pat McAfee talking about how amazing it is for him to be a... um, commentator on smackdown now now if you may or may not know who pat mcafee is um on nxt you know he would sort of come on and sort of be like this analyst and he was once upon a time an nfl football player um he paid he played for the indianapolis colts and he was a punter and so once he made the transition to wwe he was a huge fan and then he became a play-by-play um commentator there at times and then sometimes he would come on the pre-show to talk and stuff like that so and then he transitioned to become an athlete and had an amazing feud last year with Adam Cole Bebe and it was amazing so and also he fought in a war games match um against the undisputed era with his team um of made up of Pete Dunn and Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch so since that's happened and since they've shuffled their since WWE on the main roster has shuffled their commentary teams around, Pat McAfee is now with Michael Cole on SmackDown. And um, on the Rich Eisen show, he um, talked about what it's like to have Vince McMahon in his ears. He said, you know, he had a welcome to WWE moment. And he said that he he basically called Vince McMahon the voice of God. Um, and he was just really excited Um, at the idea of having someone, you know, in his ear sort of telling him, you know, stories on how booking goes and how many, you know, and what it takes, you know, for a show to keep going, you know, as he, you know, is 
verbalizing what's happening in front of him and calling the action, you know, that's going on during the show. So that's really interesting. And I, and I, for one, really do like Pat McAfee, um, being partnered with Michael Cole on the show. Like he's really funny. Um, and he, you know, anytime he adds his two cents in, you know, as a color commentator, it's really cool. And I feel like they mesh really well together. Um, along with on raw, um, you have Adnan, I believe his last name is Virk. Um, he's been paired, he's from Major League Baseball, but he's been paired with Byron Saxton and Corey Graves. And I feel like even though he's still finding his footing and he's stumbling just a tad bit on a couple of things wrestling wise, he's still really good. And he adds like a sports like element to the show that I feel like, um, that I feel like helps WWE and makes it seem like it's more of a sport that should be taken seriously, even though it always was a sport that should be taken seriously it sort of adds to it a whole lot more because a lot of people, you know, don't think of it as an actual sport. They think because the entertainment part is in it that you can't take it seriously or it's fake and all this other stuff. Like, no, this is very much a sport, just like every other sport, like football, basketball, baseball, all of that. You can get injured. You can, it can cost you your life if you don't do it right. It's still a sport too. So if they're going to do this and continue to also do the stuff like um, they were doing on SmackDown last night where they were talking about when they were doing interviews with different superstars, you know, weighing in on the match with Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns, then maybe, just maybe, you know, they can give him more of a sports feel that way. So that's it for news and gossipish. And now I'm going to talk about Mickey James and the state of women's wrestling. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right, so in this special segment, I'm going to talk about how I feel about the Mickey James situation that went viral this week on Twitter. Um, so if you may or may not know, Mickey James was released from the WWE the week after WrestleMania. And she has been sort of going on this ongoing saga with WWE because they've been sort of mistreating her um, by sending her stuff in a trash bag. But Triple H and Stephanie basically reprimanded, told her that they reprimanded the person who did it and fired them. And it was rumored that it was um, Mark Carano who was basically in charge of that. But nothing truly has been confirmed from the company that that was him or that was his fault or whatever. But something else she said on her own podcast called the Grown Ass Woman Podcast um. like really stunned me a whole lot 
And it basically shook up a lot of women's wrestling fans and also male wrestling fans alike. But mostly a lot of the anger and discord came from female wrestling fans. So on this on this episode of her podcast, she talked about how um, she tore her ACL and after, you know, but she was being pushed into retirement and she was pushing against it because she didn't want to exactly retire because she felt like she still had more to offer and they were also offering her a backstage agent role but then she repeatedly pushed against it too she just didn't want to do anything that didn't have anything to do with wrestling so you know they let her go and there's the story of that but a video went viral of her talking on her podcast and she mentioned that she pitched a number of programs for the WWE Network Um, And one of those things included a version of her podcast, a game show, and even an all women's wrestling brand within the WWE. And she talked about how she had been shut down repeatedly and mentioned a particular offensive conversation with an unnamed official in WWE, whom she says still works for the company to this day. Um, She said in the video that, which was viral on Twitter, she said, This one person, he says to me, and this is a man, said they're never going to do it ever and said that women's wrestling doesn't really make money. Um, The women's evolution pay-per-view, the one that was from 2018, the all-female pay-per-view that WWE had, was the lowest rated pay-per-view ever in the history of WWE pay-per-views. I get what you're trying to do, but I don't understand why you're fighting so hard for it. And she also went on to say, that this official told her that you should just try to do whatever it is that you can do with what you have, but don't try to push for anything more than what you're doing. And that was very disheartening to hear because as in 2018, you know, as the women's evolution is continuing to grow and they're making history by doing all of these last women standing matches and hells in a cells and iron woman matches and just so many different things and having money in the banks and Royal Rumbles. They're doing all of these things to push, you know, women's wrestling forward in terms of the mainstream thing in terms of WWE, because they were way behind until maybe what, like maybe nine years ago. And even though other promotions have been doing an all women show like Shine and Shimmer and so many different other places, it's like WWE just did not catch up until somehow or another they saw that it was um, marketable or because of the fact that they felt like there were women in sports, you know, doing a rising, you know, with your Ronda Rousey's in UFC or with your Serena Williams in tennis and all of that. And it's just like, you see all these women doing amazing things in sports. So I guess WWE finally decided they wanted to catch up. But then you can't really say that because they still had NXT. And in NXT, the women were allowed to wrestle 20 minute to 30 minute matches at a time. And this was a little bit before, you know, the the four horse women came along. So you can't say that WWE was completely behind the curve. But when it came to Raw and SmackDown, they were still behind the curve. And... So now you have these women who have done all these amazing things, even more recently with Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks main eventing night one of WrestleMania and becoming, you know, the first black women to ever main event, you know, a pay-per-view like that. Even now there's so much history being made with the women, but yet 
somehow in recent weeks on the main roster, you know, there was a little bit of a struggle with how much time they were getting yet again. And it's just, you have all this stuff that they're struggling with in terms of time that you feel like you thought they would have overcome at this point, but whoever's in charge backstage is not giving them enough time somehow. And even with backstage, you know, stuff, and even with their matches, you know, there was still a lot going on there. And you would think that at this point with them having done everything and made all this history, you would think that if a woman backstage whom you want to sort of have a backstage, you know, role at like a producer or something like Mickey James, who is a legend, an absolute wrestling legend, a six time women's champion who came back and wrestled a, one of the best matches I had ever seen against Oscar, who was undefeated in NXT. You would think they would actually want to value her voice and listen to her in terms of more women's wrestling in terms of having an all-female brand or something like that um there were a lot of people on social media who felt like maybe now isn't necessarily the time for an all-female brand for wwe because you have so many women on raw and smackdown and nxt um who are doing so much you know at a time and going for so many titles at a time that maybe you know it wouldn't work or maybe, you know, this isn't the time for it. But when you have the problem that I have with it is the fact that you have a man backstage and I am not in any way, shape or form saying, you know, this isn't a, I hate men type of post or me saying this, but this is something that bothers me is the fact that there is a lack of females behind the scenes in wrestling who are running the show or helping to run the show or probably even writing the show. I'm pretty sure the ratio between men and women working behind the scenes is little to none. Like it's probably more men than it is women. I believe that's a pretty correct guess, you know, guesstimation to make. And if that's the case, then why is it that this man who is working behind the scenes saying this to this woman who has made this much history in women's wrestling, not even just with WWE, but also on impact in so many different other places as well. And you're saying that women's wrestling cannot sell because from what I heard, evolution sold out. Now, mind you, I have a couple of, you know, people in the podcasting space who went, who was actually able to physically go to evolution and they could probably speak to this more than I could. But from what I read back then, I read that evolution had sold out. And it's just like, how can you say that women's wrestling does not sell and does not pull when so much of, you know, the feedback that people gave for a women's money in the bank or for a women's Royal Rumble or women in the main event of Raw or women in the main event of SmackDown and all this other stuff gets so much positive feedback. It's more positive than negative. And if it's negative, then it's from people who just don't either take women seriously as athletes or from people who are still caught up with how wrestling used to be and those people just have no place here so it's just like what is it that makes you feel that you can fix your mouth to say that women's wrestling is not a pull or women's wrestling does not make any money that is a lie that is a damn lie and whoever said that just really needs to just sit 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 down and if they still work for WWE, then they need to be dealt with immediately because 
women do not just come to see wrestling for the men. We come to see the women too. There's visibility there. There is representation there. When little girls come to see wrestlers, I'm pretty sure little girls do have their favorite male wrestlers, but I can't tell you how many live shows I've been to where I've seen girls of different races and backgrounds dressed up like Naomi or their favorite person is Sasha Banks or their favorite person is Paige. Like these are their favorite wrestlers. Little girls are watching wrestling, not just for the men, but they're watching them for the women. And me as a grown woman, I can say this, even though I know that I do find Roman Reigns incredibly attractive or whatever. I watch the wrestling also for the women too. I can't tell you how many times as a girl, I really wish the women could do a whole lot more because I wanted to watch them have matches like the guys do. I wanted to see that happen when I was a child and it didn't and it didn't start happening for me and I didn't see that athletic representation happen for me until I was dang near grown. But it's okay because at least it's happening at all, which lets me know that if I have kids, you know, whenever that happens, they will have women to look up to as strong leaders who are ring generals, who are you know, capable of being strong, you know, as strong as any man or just as strong, if not stronger than any man, they can see somebody like Bianca Belair lift up a 400, a dang near 400 pound man and think nothing of it because it's real. And I want to continue to see women at the forefront as athletes, but not only at the forefront as athletes, as a person who is about to start commentating for the very first time in a couple of weeks at the Belladonna Division event, Genesis in Gaston, Alabama, check it out, please. Um, I want to see more women on the intellectual side of wrestling. It's like we have women who um, referee, we have women who are athletes, we have women who are ring announcers. I want more women to be camera women. I want more women to be writers. I want more women to be commentators because God knows every commentator I've ever seen with the exception of Renee Young and Beth Phoenix and Mickey James before she left WWE. It's like, I don't see that representation that much unless it's in the independence mainstream. We should be further than this. Women should be further than this and they should be allowed to do all kinds of jobs in wrestling and not just have just male representation behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, besides Stephanie McMahon, there should be more women at the forefront of writing these stories and creating these stories for the women. And if they cannot get with it, then they can get left because I'm just so sick of it. Like, I just, I just... I've just learned over the past couple of weeks how much trouble that some women have to go through even now um, to even have their voices heard as, you know, intellectuals, you know, in the wrestling space outside of just, you know, backstage interviewing and stuff like that. And that needs to change because if you're watching wrestling as a fan, then you're soaking up all of the knowledge just like a man would about any form of sports at all. You're soaking it up and you're taking it in and you're learning all the wrestling moves. You're learning what a suplex is. You're learning what a discus clothesline is. You're learning all of the submissions, all of that, just like a man would. So if we can be fans and if we can learn about all of the athleticism and what it takes, then dang it, we can have a voice in the background too. We can have, we can be a Michael Cole. We can be a Corey Graves. We can be all of these things instead of just, instead of also the athletic, you know, the athletes as well. 
Let us do these things. Let us come up with these ideas because we have the intelligence. We have the power to give it to us and let us have it. Because I am so tired of hearing these stories where women have to go through twice as much in order to get their voices heard in terms of wrestling. I'm tired of it. It's like we've had, it's like we break one glass ceiling in terms of athleticism, but then have to break another one. No, it is time for us to actually start working behind the scenes with these things. And Mickey James is absolutely right. She shook the table and put these people on notice. You need to let the women have more time. And number two, if these women are capable of holding a whole wrestling show where it's just them, then that's perfectly fine too. But you also need to be hiring these women who can write stories from the perspective of the 21st century woman and not just have them fighting over stupid things like flowers being thrown in their face, even though that was funny this week, or fighting over a guy and all this other mess. We are so much more than that. We are multidimensional. There is more to us than just that. So if there is more to us than just that, we should be allowed to put that out there. We should be allowed to create and put that out there for the women who are athletes. I am a proponent for more women behind the scenes. And if this doesn't happen soon, you're just going to have a backwards, a very backwards show that's going to show women in a very archaic view or in a view that's just from the male gaze. No, let women run the wrestling show for the women from the female gaze. That's important. And since we're talking about wrestling from the female gaze, Saturday, May 15th, um, doors opening at 6 p.m. is the Belladonna Division show Genesis. Um, it's going to be at the Gaston Mall in Gaston, Alabama. The address is 1001 Rainbow Drive, Gaston, Alabama, 35901. Please buy your tickets. Um, general admission is $15. Ringside seats are $20. Also, the iconic wrestler, the iconic female wrestler, Jazz, is having a um, wrestling seminar from 3 o'clock to 5.30 p.m. You can sign up for $50. And you can um, sign up at the Facebook page for the Belladonna Division at the Belladonna Division and on Instagram at Belladonna Division. We have amazing matches, amazing women um, coming to the forefront fighting in this. You have Eden Von England, um, Jocelyn Navarro, Nina Monet, BB Ryan, Gabby Ortiz, all these amazing women, the W, the weapon of all destruction um jazz is fighting and then you also have me making my debut as a commentator um for the very first time and i'll be working alongside um miss Brittany, and it's just going to be an amazing miss Brittany nicole it's going to be an amazing show so please if you want to support women's wrestling and support women at the forefront and creating um wrestling promotions and all female shows put your money where your mouth is and support this show it's saturday may the 15th um at and with doors opening at 6 p.m be there or be square the link is um the belladonna division dot square dot site please check out their instagram and facebook page and just support women's wrestling not just on television and not just in the independence but support women's wrestling all around and support women who want to have careers in wrestling um outside of the athletic component that's the end of this segment
Okay, so I was sitting with my friends one day and they asked me, Stephanie, how do you record your podcast? And I said, with the Anchor app on my phone. And they were like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, it's that simple. It is absolutely free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. And it will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's got everything you need to make a podcast in one place. They even have classes and stuff that you can listen to that will give you all kinds of good tips on what you need to do in order to make the best podcast. So if you want to do this, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. Okay, so now we're going to recap Monday Night Raw and basically also recap SmackDown because like I said, I didn't watch NXT because I needed to take care of myself and wash my hair. So we're going to start with our girls. Um, So we had a match with Asuka and Lana and Naomi in a six-woman tag match against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, the women's tag team champions, and the Raw Women's Champion, Rhea Ripley. So it's looking like, you know, Rhea, a lot of people have been kind of confused as to what character or what position Rhea Ripley was going to be in, if she's a face or if she's a heel. Because a lot of people really like Rhea Ripley, but it looks like she's um, going towards the heel persona. Um, But it's so hard to make her, you know, into a heel for me because I love her. So um, we're going to start and start talking about this match. Um, Asuka and Shayna Baszler started for their teams. Asuka grabbed Shayna Baszler by the arm and then tried to make her tag out to Rhea, but then it um, backfired on her. Then Rhea Ripley ended up tagging in and Asuka managed to get the the upper hand over her, which I thought was really interesting, um, seeing as she had just lost the championship and you would think that they would make um Rhea Ripley look a little bit stronger here but it was okay um but then as soon as Lana um took a turn in the ring Rhea Ripley regained her composure and started dishing out punishment on Lana because you know it's like you have Rhea Ripley who's like a monster and then you have Lana no shade to Lana but that really was kind of a mismatch but then Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke you know continuing their um antagonizing of the women's tag team champions came out they came out and watched it ringside but then but then Shayna Baszler you know tried to run them off and scare them but then they threw a bucket of water on her and then when Nia Jax tried to help her partner out you know for backup she slipped and fell in the water a few times which I thought was kind of payback for how Nia Jax was making fun of Mandy Rose and how she slipped on the water and fell at Wrestlemania but it's okay we all fall down but it only matters how we get up so then we return from commercial break to see Lana make the hot tag to Asuka after she was being um, taken advantage of. But she, you know, rallied and made that tag. And then Asuka knocked Rhea Ripley off the apron with a running hip strike before going after Shayna Baszler. But then Nia Jax ended up getting the win with a big leg drop. So this was kind of sad to me because it seemed like Lana and Naomi were really trying to go for you know the women's tag team titles but now it's looking like they really might be done for with that storyline and it's looking like Shayna and Nia might have to focus on Tamina and Natty over on Smackdown because they have the right to go back and forth between the two shows there but then they're also beefing um with Mandy and Dana and then backstage um they were backstage talking and then there was a point where um 
Naya was back there with Reggie, you know, talking to him or whatever. But then Angel Garza popped up and then gave Naya Jack some flowers. And then she really liked the flowers. But then as soon as she saw Mandy Rose, she swung and said, you know, and said, put these in water, bitch. And then bah, and then hit her in the face with the flowers. And I was like, God dang. And it wound up being one of the most, um, jiffable moments of the night um as I was live tweeting and stuff like that so it was just really funny how that was happening I was like god dang she just bopped her with the flowers um it was really funny and it just reminded me of that scene from Sex in the City the movie when Carrie and Big were supposed to get married but then Big got scared and then they ran into each other in traffic and she proceeded to beat the crap out of him with the bouquet <laughs> um that was really funny so yeah that happened and then um in light of the actions of mandy rose and dana brooke mandy rose was made to fight in a match with charlotte flair um by sonia deville who was on her hostile takeover mess because earlier in the night she snuck in charlotte flair who was supposed to be suspended and had to pay a a huge one hundred thousand dollar fine for putting her hands on a referee so Sonya brought her out, you know, to the ring, you know, to apologize to the referee, Eddie Aringo. And, you know, she said that she was sorry, you know, for attacking him. And, you know, he accepted it. And he admitted that if he had seen Rhea Ripley interfere, then Charlotte would have won the match. But then Charlotte didn't take too kindly to him saying that for whatever reason, because she's the black swan now. Um, she basically stopped, um, Sonya Deville from announcing the match any further and demanded that he apologize to her um for for basically you know not seeing what was going on with Rhea Ripley and he did apologize and after he said she was he was sorry she smiled at him and said good boy which upset me because I can't stand it when people do that like you're saying good boy like he's a dog like that's not a dog that is a grown man stop but either way um then um after you know he apologized and she accepted it he opened the ropes for her and let her out and then he was also made to be the referee in the match against Mandy Rose that Charlotte was supposed to have so that was really interesting um because here lately Sonya Deville has been sort of undermining Adam Pierce's authority it's like they were supposed to be working together but it started trickling and happening on Smackdown but I guess now it's sort of it's sort of beginning to take place on Raw as well where you see Sonya Deville trying to take over and now it's um going to be and hopefully, you know, she'll actually make a hostile takeover and it'll actually be successful because I am more than happy to see a woman sort of take charge of um, being an official or a general manager of both shows like that. That would be interesting. But I believe that she'll be more so for the heels and the faces. But either way, I still think it's interesting. So we have the match with Charlotte Flair versus Mandy Rose. And you can tell a lot of people on social media and, and, and maybe even some people um, during the show were kind of thinking that Mandy Rose was just going to get run over by Charlotte Flair because a lot of people, you know, have the whole 13-time world champion thing in their head and they feel like, oh, well, Mandy Rose really isn't that substantial of an athlete because of her looks and all this other stuff, blah, blah. But Mandy Rose really is a substantial athlete and we should, you know, definitely give her her flowers and respect her. Um, even though she didn't start off in wrestling and actually neither did Charlotte. It's just, she's still just as athletic, you know, as anyone else on the roster and she's really good. So we should, you know, respect her. Um, so... 
they fought each other and she was in Mandy Rose got in a lot of offense, you know, early in the match. But then there was a close call with um, Eddie Arango that almost cost Charlotte Flair the match. Like, it looked like she started to get get angry and frustrated at him and the way he was calling the match. And there was a point where it looked like he was doing a fast count for her and a, like a fast count for Mandy and a slow count for Charlotte. And she started getting really upset. But then she was able to get the win by hitting, I believe, a natural selection. Um, but she was irate at Eddie for almost costing her the victory. So Charlotte Flair in this new character outside of just being a flair um, is really intriguing. I really feel like, you know, she's got this straight hair going on. It's got her dark makeup and everything. And she's got this robe that looks kind of that looks flair ish but then it has a whole different look to it like it just looks so it looks villainous and it's just amazing it's like she's giving me um mother gothel from tangled vibes almost a mixed in with a little bit of black swan and it's just like the coolest thing on the planet to see her be this different level of a heel but it's also giving off the impression of white privilege here that sort of makes me want to smack her even more but I think that just means she's just doing her job so yeah I like this turn of her in in her heel thing and she's doing her job because it's getting on my nerves because she thinks she's supposed to get everything she wants and it's just like rah but either way it's okay um (laughs) so I feel like that's pretty much all that happened with the women so now we're just gonna go to the men so the show initially started you know it started with a match which is different because usually it starts with like a promo or something but it started with t-bar and mace formerly of retribution versus braun Strowman, andrew mcintyre so um they mace and t-bar came out without their mask on and of course you know if you've been watching the show for a long time you know that you know them maskless is like it's dominic dajakovic who came from nxt and dio madden who used to be the guy on commentary at first until he got bashed through a table defending jared king lawler's honor um by brock lesnar so you have these two men here and they were willing to sort of you know stake their claim here as sort of new a new tag team so basically Braun Strowman you know came out and he said this and he basically said this is going to be a handicap match instead of a tag team match so he could prove to the world that he that he could do what Drew McIntyre couldn't do in his um handicap matches um last week so Braun Strowman started off against T-Bar and he um, began dom- dominating his opponent. But then Mace came in with a burst of offense to turn things in his favor. But then the referee ended up disqualifying Mace and T-Bar when they refused to stop double teaming Braun Strowman because they're a pack of animals. Um, and then this brought out Drew McIntyre, who was trying to make the save and help um, Braun Strowman. But did Braun Strowman appreciate that? No, because earlier before the show, well, not before the show, but before that match, he was talking about how he was going to show Drew McIntyre, you know, the way to do it. And he was he wasn't calling him a rookie, but he was basically saying, I'm the monster among men and I know better than you, which is completely inaccurate because Drew McIntyre was wrestling before you, sir. So stop it. But. Either way, Braun Strowman was doing too much. And then we returned from a commercial break to see the tag team match, you know, taking place. But then Drew McIntyre um, took Braun Strowman down with a clothesline um, by accident. And then it led to Mace and T-Bar winning by a countout. And then after it was over, Strowman power slammed 
Drew McIntyre and yelled at him for not listening to him because, of course, he has to take the lead because he's the biggest or blah. So that just irritated me a little bit. Um, even though I was happy that Bass and T-Bar won their first match, you know, as a team, as a tag team, you know, together um, without the whole retribution thing. It still irritated me that Braun Strowman was trying to make it seem like he knew better than Drew. Like, no, you don't, sir. Like, Drew's been a champion before, and he was in the WWE and in wrestling before you. So stop trying to act like you can run, roll all over him. Like, stop. But, and also, T-Bar and Mace have on face paint, and I thought it was cool, but a lot of people on social media didn't think it was cool. So I was just like, come on. I thought it was cool. But whatever. Then we had um, The New Day and Damian Priest versus Miz, Jackson Riker, and Elias. And before this match, um, they had an episode of Miz TV in which The Miz and Jomo had Elias and Jackson Riker on. And then um, The Miz proceeded to brag about how his WWE Network um, documentary, um, 24, was really good and highly rated. But I do recommend watching it, though, because if you want to get inside the head of The Miz and see more of his motivations as to why he became a wrestler and all of the obstacles he had to face, then I definitely recommend watching his 24. Um, And then he was bragging, of course, about his reality show, Miz and Mrs., which is on. Um, And then he proceeded to, and then him and Jomo proceeded to take credit for Bad Bunny selling out his tour. And from what I heard, those tickets were really, really high. But, you know, if you love Bad Bunny, then it's definitely worth it to you. I just don't feel safe going to concerts anymore. So (laughs) after that point, even though I know it's supposed to be next year, but it's okay. Um, They tried to perform a version of their Hey Hey um, Ho Ho hip hop song. It was like an acoustic version. But then Damian Priest interrupted them. Um, And then the New Day joined him in throwing tomatoes at him because um, freaking Xavier came out there with like a guitar case and you thought it was like another instrument, like he was going to come out and play bass again. But he didn't and he opened the case and it was all these tomatoes and they started throwing them everywhere to the point where Byron Saxon almost got hit apparently. And he was just like, hey, that one almost hit me in the eye. And I was just like, well, dang, they must have some killer arms. So they were throwing them at him. And, you know, they went to commercial break and they came back from commercial break and everything was clean. Um, and for some reason, my dad didn't think that um, the work, the crew wasn't going to get it cleaned up in time. And I was like, oh, no, they know how to utilize commercial breaks. They'll get that clean. And lo and behold, when, we, when they came back, it was clean. So <laughs> um, the bell rang and the heels, you know, almost cornered, basically immediately cornered Xavier Woods to get an upper hand. But then he was um, able to tag Kofi Kingston and turn the tide in the, in the team's favor. There was this one point where Kofi Kingston had a really impressive um, drop kick from the top rope. And I was just like, sir, continue to show us what you can do. I'm still pushing for him to have another title opportunity, but that's neither here nor there. Um, then Jomo was at ringside and it gave and it gave the heel team a slight advantage. But then. It was like whenever the good guys had control for like too long, somebody from the other team would interfere to stall their momentum. This was a really good tag team match here. But then after everybody got involved, Xavier Woods was able to get the pin on Jackson Riker with an inside cradle. So this was really good here. I'm not sure if this means that the New Day might be trying for another um, shot at the tag titles because AJ Styles and almost have not been on the show for a while. Um, but... Um, they got the advantage here and um 
it was cool to see Damian Priest get a win, you know, next to these veterans like the New Day and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Um, I enjoyed that match. Then we had another non-match between Sheamus and Humberto Carrillo. So Sheamus was trying to do the whole open challenge thing for the United States Championship like Circa John Cena did when he won it all those years ago. And he said that his U.S. title would not be on the line um, this time. Um, so he basically, like last week, they showed a clip of him beating up Humberto Carrillo, who was trying to accept the challenge, you know. And then he laughed about it during the replay or whatever. But then Carrillo came out for a second shot at the at the Celtic Warrior. And then Sheamus took a cheap shot at him and beat him down mercilessly. But then Carrillo um, recovered and jumped on the champion before dropping before back dropping him out of the ring. And then he hit three drop kicks and a huge suicide dive to send him over the announced table. And this excited me because Umberto Carrillo hasn't really been present, you know, since like the early part of last year when he was, you know, involved with that whole thing with, um, Rey Mysterio and Aleister Black and Seth Rollins and stuff. And he kind of just disappeared for a while. But then on Instagram, you saw so many videos of him, you know, working out and getting bigger and bulkier and stuff like that. So it's just like now he's really trying to get get everybody's attention. So hopefully at some point, maybe at Backlash, um, we'll get a, uni- a United States um, championship match between Sheamus and Humberto Carrillo because he could definitely use that rub there. So I was really excited for him with that. Then we had Arc, the team, the unlikely team of Randy Orton and Matt Riddle, which is known as RK Bro, versus Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Um, Matt Riddle had an interview with Patrick and he was, you know, doing riding around on his scooter in circles around him. And it looked like Patrick was enjoying it at a certain point. Um, it looks like Patrick's enjoying himself. He's the new guy on Raw who does backstage interviews. Um, so after his interview, Randy Orton came back there with Riddle and basically said he had underestimated him last week because Matt Riddle did beat him on one-on-one action last week in a really good match. And so he offered to team up with him to battle Cedric Alexander and Shelter Benjamin. But there was this really funny promo that they did backstage during this interview where... Um, Randy Orton told him, I don't know what planet you're from. But then Matt Riddle was like, I'm from Earth. And then he, and then Ra- and Randy was like, shut up. And I thought that was so funny because I'm just like, oh, my God, because people really be acting like Matt Riddle is just in outer space. But it's just because it's it's been insinuated on television that, you know, he gets high <laughs> from marijuana. So it's just kind of like, you know, he just says things that are out of the blue and does things that are out of the blue and talks about food and getting the munchies a lot. So I thought that was really funny um, how he basically said, you know, we're going to team together. But a lot of people, including Corey Graves, didn't think that they were going to last because of Randy Orton's past history with tag teams and him stabbing his teammates in the back and all that other stuff. So Matt Riddle started off with Cedric Alexander and almost not locked in the bro mission right away. But then Cedric was able to counter and tag in Shelton Benjamin and take over. And they kept Matt Riddle grounded for a long time with quick tags and focus on and focus offense on his legs. But then um, Matt Riddle drilled Cedric with a knee to the face so he can tag Randy Orton. And then after an initial salvo, Randy Orton lined up for the RKO and he ended up hitting an RKO to Cedric Alexander after he jumped off the top rope, which is probably one of the best RKOs he's ever given. Um... And it sort of reminded me of that time he gave an RKO to Evan Bourne when he jumped off of the top rope. 
to do his special move. And then there was that other time he RKO'd Seth Rollins and from midair at WrestleMania that time. So it's just like, it just seems like Randy Orton just comes up with all kinds of creative ways. Well, him and his opponent come up with all kinds of creative ways to do RKO's to make it never get old. Like, it's just amazing. So then after that, Matt Riddle um, begged for the tag. So Orton obliged him and then he spiked Shelton Benjamin with a DDT. And then Matt Riddle followed up with the floating bro to score the pin. And as they celebrated, um, Matt Riddle wanted to give Randy Orton a hug, you know, and stuff. But then Randy Orton backed off and left him to celebrate by himself. So it's looking like, and then what's so funny is Corey Graves, you know, kept saying, oh, he's going to do it. Oh, he's going to do it. As if trying to predict when Randy Orton was going to stab him in the back. But he didn't. And he just walked away from him. And I was just like yeah Randy Orton's not a hugger he's just gonna walk away okay he's not that he's not about that hug life so they proceeded so Randy so not Randy but Matt Riddle proceeded to celebrate and that was pretty much it so then also with the men to end the night we had Drew McIntyre versus Braun Strowman and they have been raring to fight each other for the past couple of weeks, so I was glad they were able to get this over with. But backstage, Braun Strowman was trying to like plant seeds in MVP's head to basically give off the impression that he wanted to fight for the championship, fight Bobby Lashley for the championship at Backlash. So basically, whoever was going to win this main event, um, it was like if Drew McIntyre, you know, went on to win the match, he was going to have his one on one match against Bobby Lashley at Backlash. But if Braun Strowman had won this match at the end of the show, he was going to get inserted into that match and it was going to be a triple threat at Backlash for the WWE Championship. And a lot of people didn't want that to happen because they felt like Braun Strowman was just kind of begging his way into a title opportunity, kind of the same way that they felt Daniel Bryan was trying to beg his way into a title opportunity this past WrestleMania time. But uh, we can't choose this stuff. So, um, so basically, there was a few minutes of back and forth action here. But then Bobby Lashley came out to watch the match for himself. And then we returned from a commercial break to see um, Braun Strowman send Drew McIntyre into the corner with a huge Irish whip. And um, then Drew McIntyre blocked a clubbing blow and hit the Glasgow kiss to get a comeback going. And when he hit the Glasgow kiss, I kid you not, I was looking for Samoa Joe to say, oh, give us a kiss, Drew. But he's not there because he got released and we can't have nice things. So um, then MVP and Bobby Lashley got involved at one point, but then they were knocked off of the apron. And then Mace and T-Bar tried to interfere in the match. And then they were able to distract Drew McIntyre long enough for Braun Strowman to hit a power slam for the win. And that kind of upset me because I didn't want, I didn't necessarily want Braun Strowman to be put in the match because I kind of wanted to just be Bobby versus Drew. And it felt like Mace and T-Bar were trying to like antagonize one of them to see to get one of them to lose. But it looked like even though they were so called on the side of the Hurt business, they really were counterproductive and basically made it worse for Bobby Lashley. So I guess MVP isn't claiming them at this point. So I just don't know what's going on with that. But now we have a triple threat match for the WWE Championship at Backlash in two weeks. So, yeah, that's pretty much all that happened on Raw. And now I'm going to recap SmackDown.
All right, and for our last segment, we're going to recap Friday Night Smackdown. So something interesting that they kept recapping over and over again was just the fact that next week is going to be a throwback episode of Smackdown. And I'm really excited about this because I'm always good for a little throwback. Show me what life was like, you know, back then. Even though Smackdown is like the younger show, like Raw started in 1993 and SmackDown started in 1999. So that was almost before, you know, the start of the new millennium. So it's just like, show me what it was like, <laughs> you know, again. And then a lot of people, you know, were tweeting out the picture of the giant fist, which was which used to be a part of um, the SmackDown Titan Tron and the stage and everything. So I'm wondering if they're going to use that or if they're going to use like the circular screens that they used to use, you know, when SmackDown first came on on UPN. So I wonder how that's going to go. But I still think a throwback edition is always really cool. You know, take me back to my past. Take me back to when I was a child. That was that's going to be cool. But it felt like that wasn't that long ago. I'm just 27, guys. So, yeah, I'm a baby. So, um, the show started with Bianca Belair trying to, you know, introduce the show. But then as they were trying to introduce the show, she got interrupted by um, Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode because um, they were getting ready for like a six, a six man slash woman tag. And then she was, he was just like, well, if we're going to start the, and Dolph Ziggler was like, well, if we're going to start the show, we're going to start the show, you know, off right with the dirty dogs and not with you, you know, Bianca Belair or whatever. Well, they didn't say that, but at the same time, that was the energy they were giving off and it was just kind of annoying. So as they were talking, the street prophets came out and interrupted them because they were interrupting Bianca and then Bailey interrupted them because she wanted to get in Bianca's face and basically laugh in her face and make it seem like she's a joke and all this other stuff. But then Bianca wasn't having it anymore and she slapped her in the face. And I was just like, yes. So this, so their six tag, six woman slash man tag, um, started the match here. And then Bailey and Bianca, you know, started the feud and they were engaging in some back and forth action before there was a hot tag, you know, from Bianca to Angelo Dawkins, who was exploding in this match here like he did such a phenomenal job here um he's just getting better and better and then he overpowered Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode and then watched as Montez Ford launched himself over the top rope and wiped the tag team champions out on the floor to be honest I really want the Street Profits to win the tag team titles back because every time I see Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode I just forget that they're the tag champions and I think and that's really bad but I literally forget that they are the tag champions, but they keep saying, but it looks like they keep, you know, pushing the idea of Ray and Dominic being the first father son duo to ever be tag champions. And that's a cool or whatever, but I really just want the street prophets to get it again. Sue me. I love them either way. Um, then um Ziggler and Rude you know slowed Montez Ford down and worked him over and it looked like there was a point where Dolph Ziggler was trying to antagonize Montez by swinging a fake you know imaginary braid or whatever to mimic or like mock Bianca and I'm sitting here like if you don't have a braid in your hair or uh, like anywhere on your body why are you doing this? But I understand he's being the heel or whatever, but it was still irritating me. And then he even had a had on a braid like last week. And it was just kind of like, bro, you're extra. But either way, um, Bailey got in a couple of shots or whatever. And then Montez 
rocked Dolph Ziggler with a big kick to separate um to separate him you know and then he tagged Angelo Dawkins back into the match but then as the action broke down and and there was like multiple spots going off all at one time which was still really cool and seamless Bianca Belair delivered the KOD to Bailey, and then there was a point where Bianca Belair almost delivered the KOD on the Dolph Ziggler and I'm just like so this woman can lift a man and a woman in the same match and not break a sweat yes ma'am that's why you are the champion either way it was cool and she hit the kod onto bailey and then montez finished off bobby Roode with a springboard frog splash for the win and i think there was also a point where bianca used her braid to to whip bobby Roode in the back and i thought that was really cool so yeah um the smackdown women's champion and her husband and his tag team partner won the match and that was a really cool match to see but it was looking like bailey looked a little bit disheveled and angry about it like it's like it's really you know bugging her that this girl who's kind of like new to the whole you know main roster thing is a champion and she's not so this is sort of feeding into their feud to go into their championship match at backlash so i think that was interesting and then in another move, um, which surprised me, it's like you had two women's matches slash segments, you know, at the beginning of SmackDown. It was a non-title match between Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler, and Natalia and Tamina. And this was a pretty good match as well. These girls were just showing out. It's just, it's so funny that with all the stuff that Mickey James said, at the end of the week, you know, these women were actually given more time on SmackDown. And it was just really cool to see this here see it manifest here um on this episode tamina tried um for an early top rope splash where the naya jacks got her knees up and then naya and um shana baszler double teamed um tamina and rocked her with a knee before overwhelming her with a series of splashes and a corner splash by naya then tamina fought her way out of the corner and tried for a body slam but then naya jacks refused to budge falling on her opponent um for a quick two count but then tamina tagged natty um into the match and then she um uncorked a german suplex and then there was another point where it seemed like she blocked one of shana she actually blocked the kirafuda clutch in a very impressive move because it's like when shana had a hold of her neck it's like she countered out of it with like a roll through and i was just like girl that was impressive like say what you want about natalia and you know her lack of charisma with a character but old girl can go like she can fight and she can wrestle like nobody's business that is a heart through and through um and then Baszler rocked her with a big knee which left her you know in need of her own tag but then Tamina tagged herself in finally and then head butted Shayna Baszler off the mat and scored the pinfall victory off of the super fly splash so this was really solid here and it was really showing that they really could take the women's tag team titles if they want to um so this was a really good showing here on the part of these women and I was just really excited about it and even though Reggie tried to you know interfere or whatever it just it was no use so I'm assuming that at some point Naya might get rid of Reggie or maybe Naya might get rid of Shayna or Sh they might just break up and then she might get rid of Reggie and then pick up Angel because that would be the better choice. I'm sorry, because Reggie, he's okay, but he's not as cute as Angel Garza though. So <laughs> either way, that's my thirst take for the day. Um, Then we had, 
that's pretty much all that happened with the women so throughout the entire show something else that they were doing was asking various superstars who was going to win the universal title match between roman reigns and daniel bryan and they had they asked the miz um who basically you know reiterated the fact that he doesn't like daniel bryan but he still felt like he could very well win um kofi kingston felt like you know daniel bryan could win you know even though they used to with their um which something and then something that surprised me was the fact that Kofi did not mention did not mention their past rivalry, you know, leading up to his WrestleMania moment. But he said that he was for Daniel Bryan winning, and then Shinsuke was actually for Daniel Bryan winning, and then I believe King Corbin was for Roman Reigns winning. So that was pretty much interesting to see, you know, to have all these people weighing in their opinions throughout the entire show, and it was able to fill up a bunch of time as they also kept showing commercials for next week's throwback episode. Um, then we had the match, um, between Biggie and Apollo Crews for the Intercontinental Championship. Um, but then before this, we had Aleister Black giving his latest cryptic message, talking about, you know, the facade that is the path to happiness and success. Um, and he knows the key to it, but then he refused to give it to the viewers. He was telling this story about how, you know, when you grow up, they try to tell you, you know, if you go to school and if you get a good education, if you go to college, you know, you'll be able to buy this house and have this family and get married and all this other stuff and talk about, you know, how arbitrary those, you know, symbols of success are even going down to, you know, having, you know, winning homecoming queen or going to the prom or having the amazing prom date and all this other stuff. And he kind of had a point there because none of that really is a, you know, is a showing for how much success that you have, um, that you're destined to get as an adult. But at the same time, I mean, that stuff is important for people, but you know, Alistair Black is really playing into this dark cryptic person. And it's so funny that the animation in this book of, I don't want to call it the book of shadows. Cause that's not what it's called. This is not charmed. Um, <laughs> it's like, the book he had, the animation for the book reminded me a lot of the animation in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows when they were talking about the story of the Elder Wand. Um, but I really do love this character for Aleister Black, and I'm glad he's slowly but sure, surely, you know, finding his way back into the fold because I have missed him very much. And there were so many rumors running rampant saying that he could be quitting because Zelina Vega, you know, got fired because of all of her video game stuff. But it was just, you know, I'm glad he's back. So we had the match between Big E and Apollo Crews. So Big E was just ready to prove himself, you know, and get his baby back, which is something he said to the new girl. Um, I don't know her name right now, um, backstage. And so he went out there and he started the match off, you know, really hot. And he dominated the the early minutes of the match. And he delivered a big splash on the ring apron and appeared to be rolling. But then Apollo Crews seized control of the match, you know, dropping Biggie at ringside ahead of the commercial break. Then we returned to the commercial break to find Apollo Crews dominating, adding a moonsault to the floor. And if it's anything that Apollo Crews can do, he can jump really high. It's like he has the body of a heavyweight, but he has the moveset somewhat of a cruiserweight. And it's just really cool. He's so impressive. Um, and he's he missed an aerial assault, you know, which allowed Big E to build momentum. And he gave a big splash and it earned him a two count. But then Apollo dumped Biggie on the ring apron and added a top rope splash where he couldn't keep his opponent down. But then with Big E, you know, fired up, 
he delivered the big ending and appeared to have the win in hand when Commander Aziz, formerly known as Dabakato, pulled him out of the ring and sent him into the ring post. But then Kevin, which caused a disqualification, which means Apollo is still the champion, even though Big E officially won. Um, Kevin Owens hit the ring seeking revenge for the Nigerian nail that he endured last week um, because of Apollo Crews. And then he found himself beaten down by the heels. And then, um, and then Sami Zayn came out there to get revenge on Kevin Owens. And then as they all laid out all the baby faces, um, Commander Aziz delivered a Nigerian nail to Sami Zayn as after he retrieved his intercontinental title from him. So Sami Zayn um, was trying, was basically staring and gawking at the intercontinental title because, you know, he had it and he lost it to Big E christmas day and of last year and then he got mad and then he was just like i want it back or whatever and then apollo was like give me my title i'm sorry i can't do an african accent but y'all get it he was like give me my title back and then he gave it back and then commander z still attacked him so it's just like ha. but either way it was it was a good match but i wonder if this means that big e is gonna give up on the ic title or if he's going to continue to pursue it um because it just seems like um apollo just keeps using underhanded tactics to win and retain his title and biggie might want to prove that he can win it you know on his own or even up the odds somehow or maybe kevin owens you know might possibly want to go for the ic title simply because he has beef with apollo cruz too which might lead to a triple threat between between them or a fatal four-way because you have Sami Zayn who was drooling over the title last night too. So, hey, mm-hmm, you never know. But it was still good. Um, then we had the main event involving um, Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. And backstage, Papa Paul, Paul Heyman, came out there and talked to Kayla. Shout out to Bammer Girl Kayla. I love you. Um, about how... Daniel Bryan really doesn't deserve an, another opportunity, but since he's going to get it, he's basically going to get his butt kicked and all that. So um, they hyped it up. They hyped it up throughout the whole show. And now here we were with this main event. So Daniel Bryan, you know, made his way to the match, you know, not to match, but to the ring with his whole, you know, yes chance and everything. And then, of course, Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns entered the arena to new theme music. Um, which basically fits more of his personality now. And I talked about that in the um, news and gossipish segment. So Daniel Bryan attacked from the opening bell and he was rocking him with a, he rocked Roman Reigns with a drop kick and he flattened Roman Reigns with a running knee from the ring apron, which headed into the commercial break. And then we came back from break to find that Daniel Bryan worked the left arm and the shoulder of the champion teeing off on him with a flurry of kicks to the shoulder then Roman Reigns absorbed and then returned fire, cutting Daniel Bryan off with a big back elbow for um, a two count. Then Daniel Bryan sent him face first into the turnbuckle, but then Roman Reigns recovered and delivered a power bomb off the top rope for a two count. This match was really good. Um, and then Roman Reigns dominated coming back from the other commercial break, unloading with, unloading with clotheslines on the floor. And then he added big knees and boots to Daniel Bryan in a corner. And he set the challenger up on the top rope. But then Daniel Bryan crotched him and looked to rally. Then Daniel Bryan 
delivered a huge side suplex from the top rope and shot the and shot the half on Reigns, scoring a two count. And then he continued to roll through the match, taking um, Roman Reigns to the floor. But then Reigns tried for the spear, but then Daniel Bryan moved and the champion crashed into the guardrail. Then they had a, another commercial break. <laughs> they were really spreading this out, guys. Um, and then surprisingly, Jay Uso didn't come out, you know, with Roman Reigns for his entrance. So I guess so we're going to move on from that. Then Daniel Bryan launched himself off the top rope with a diving headbutt for another near fall. Then Roman Reigns answered with a Superman punch, but then Daniel Bryan trapped him in with the yes lock. And then Roman Reigns escaped and delivered a spear, but he could only keep him down for a count of two as Daniel Bryan was, you know, was being resilient, you know, and his drive, you know, was just taking over him. So he refused to give up here. So it was looking like for a second that Daniel Bryan was really going to take it and win. But then Roman Reigns kept getting frustrated and talking smack at him and everything because y'all know how he do. He trapped Daniel Bryan into the guillotine, but then the babyface escaped and then applied an arm submission. And then he, um, he segued into the yes lock, but then Roman Reigns fought towards the rope, but then Daniel Bryan pulled him back. Um, it was so dramatic here. Then um, Roman powered out and then he managed to slam Daniel Bryan to the mat. And then he pounded away at the back of Bryan's head, punishing him before delivering another power bomb. Then Roman Reigns used his good arm to apply the guillotine, choking the fight out of Daniel Bryan and retaining the title. So Daniel Bryan passed out because of a submission. And something that I do find very impressive here, since Roman Reigns has turned heel and embraced his tribal chief persona, is the fact that he's gone to towards torturing people as opposed to hitting, hitting like a knockdown drag out punch, you know, and do like a one thing like that for a three count. He's really punishing his opponents and torturing them and making them have to, pa- to pass out or tap out or whatever to let them know that I am in charge of you you are nothing and I am going to destroy you whether it means I have to torture you or take you or take you out you know in another way like it's just so dastardly and I love it so then after the match Roman Reigns wanted to basically put an exclamation point on the loss um for Daniel Bryan by attempting a brutal chair assault on Daniel Bryan only for Cesaro who I assume is next in line to challenge for the universal title to make the save. Then um, Cesaro unloaded on the champion and kept giving him uppercuts with his shoulder, which is just amazing. And he knocked him out of the ring until Jay Uso came in and made the save because that's where he popped in at finally, surprisingly, because sometimes Roman Reigns be cheating, but he didn't cheat this time. He won it fair and square. So Roman Reigns delivered a concerto onto Brian while Cesaro was tied up in the ropes and forced to watch. And there was a point where I thought that Roman Reigns was actually going to hit Cesaro with the chair while he was tied up in the ropes, but he didn't. And that's where SmackDown went off. And it was a very definitive end. So Roman Reigns continues to dominate and slay us with his um, tribal chief head of the table shtick. Jay Uso continues to be the right-hand man. Papa Paul is still out here delivering all kinds of pipe bombs on people. And Friday night is Friday night. And SmackDown is always a superior show. So that's the end of that recap. (laughs) 
All right, so thank you for joining me for this episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. As always, you can follow me, your girl Stephanie Hardy, on Instagram at Queen Steph Hardy, and you can follow me on Twitter with the same name at Queen Steph Hardy, and you can follow me on Instagram, the show on Instagram at Hardy Wrestling Podcast, and on Twitter at Hardy Wrestle Pod, and I would also <clears throat> like to tell you to um, also follow. At, at WW Talk Pod, because that's where I also do um, live tweeting and stuff like that for the Women's Wrestling Talk um, podcast. Please check that show out. And um, because it's hosted by two amazing women, TK Trinidad and Emily Mae Heller. So please check that out as well. And like I said earlier in the show, when I was talking about women's wrestling, please check out the Belladonna division on Facebook and Instagram, because we have a ton. We have um, an amazing show coming up on the 15th of May, which is called Genesis. So please check that out. Jazz is going to be there. And so many of the best of women's wrestlers in the independent circuit is going to be there as well, as well as me making my debut as a commentator. So please make it your business to check us out and also listen to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast and subscribe to my channel on YouTube. Um, Also subscribe on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And also leave a positive review if you really like what you hear, if you have anything you want to say about the show as well. So with that in mind, I hope you're being your best self and I hope you're being the light of the world. And just you know staying safe because we're still in the middle of a panorama so please you know stay safe and be the very best that you can be and don't let the darkness of the world you know tear you down always you know lift lift others up and lift yourself up and don't be so hard on yourself at all whenever you make mistakes because we are all human and we're all trying to get everything together so just take care of yourself and be your best self and always know that if anyone tries to make you feel down about yourself or if anybody tries to give you anything less than what you're worth, do your best to make the little bit that you have and make those take those lemons and turn them into lemonade. That's, you know, a word that everybody can use. Turn your lemons into bomb ass lemonade. So thank you for listening to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. And until next time, bye y'all. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.